Hey, film fans, I'm Jackie Lynn here with Dave Demarest for the next episode of Dollar Theater, the show where we watch films with higher reviews and could be worth a watch. We are all excited about this week's film, Inglorious Bastards, directed by Quentin Tarantino and starring Brad Pitt, Christoph Waltz, Melanie Laurent, and more. It received an 8.3 on IMDb and an 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think this is one of the highest critically rated films that we've done on a show. Can't wait to talk to you guys about it. We'll get started shortly. Glenn Thompson is our guest tonight. You may remember him from previous episodes such as Karate Kid Part 3, Scott Pilgrim, Con Air, just to name a few. Glenn works in a lot of artistic areas of theater, film, and the television industry, and is a documentary filmmaker as well. Fun fact, Glenn also has a flair for creating violence on stage. So Glenn, I'm hoping you, you can weigh in on some of this Tarantino violence here. I hope so too. I'm glad to be back, guys. Great to have you. <laughs> All right, Dave, let's kick this off. Inglorious Bastards. What do you think? I think, oh, I remember seeing this in 2009 in the theaters, and I wasn't nearly as sophisticated the film viewer that I am now. And I just remember the premise, I remember hearing the premise to this, and it was Brad Pitt is killing Nazis. And I, sure, so that's all I needed to know. S sign me up. Um, this is, depending on the day you ask me, this will be my, my favorite Tarantino movie. And since, since we're covering it today, if you ask me right now, yes, this is my favorite Tarantino movie. It kind of has a little bit of everything. If you're like the three of us, like true film fans, it's the Tarantino movie. For a casual film goer, it's a Brad Pitt action film. If you're somebody who likes massacres, they have that. If you're someone who likes people trying to one-up each other in conversations in foreign languages. This is a movie that has a little bit for everybody. Really great film, uh, 2009, nominated for Best Picture, somehow lost to The Hurt Locker. I, I don't know how that happened, but <laughs> it did. Um, just a uh, crazy thing that happened at the Oscars. Yeah, I really enjoy this movie. Glenn, where are you at with this one? I have to be really straightforward. This was my uh, second time seeing this movie. I did not see it when it came out. I don't think I would have even been, you know, allowed to i was i'm not gonna go any further than that uh there this is uh bloody it's violent it's tarantino in every aspect of it but it's also gorgeous i mean you could see the step up in cinematography here from a lot of his previous work uh you could see the casting throughout minus a hiccup here or there was was perfect i think that as someone who like i love movies like but I'm not that, oh, Quentin Tarantino, I got to bow down, you know, kind of guy. This is still just one of those movies, like, you can put it on and be like, yeah, let's watch it. It's going to be a great time, and I'm going to enjoy it. Um, so I'll be curious to hear more thoughts as we go. Yeah, from the moment the Green Leaves of Summer theme plays in the opening <laughs> credits, you're just like, let's, let's fucking go here. This was a script that Quentin Tarantino started working on in 1998 and put it on pause so we could do the two Kill Bill films and uh, Death Proof. And then he picked it up again after that movie because he couldn't figure out what ending he wanted to have. So just really, it's really interesting how some of these filmmakers like start a project and then just kind of, instead of forcing it, they'll put it to the side, work on something else. And we ultimately got what we got, which was close to perfection. Jackie, where'd you wind up on this one? 
This is actually one of my favorite films ever. I am a huge Quentin Tarantino fan. I'm so excited to talk about this tonight. I'm so appreciative of this film for so many reasons. <laughs> this is such a satisfying history rewrite. Um, I, you know, I'm not Jewish. I want to disclose that. I don't assume to know the true horrors of World War II or anything like that, but a plot about a group of Jewish men revolting as a band of brothers and then turning the tables on Hitler himself is a justified version of history to me. And it is absolutely bone chilling at times, but overall, I think this is a better version of history. And this is what I paid money to see. Yes, it is violent. Uh, but if one goes to a Tarantino film, like you guys were both saying, you got to have the right expectations of what you're going to see. I mean, the guy used many, many gallons of stage blood in <laughs> previous films. Right, right. You know, I love the take of cinema, taking a war on cinema, of the propaganda of the films from Nazi Germany and literally fighting film with film. I'm surprised Hollywood didn't enjoy that more with the Oscar noms there or, or the, the actual awards themselves because Hollywood just loves films about Hollywood. And yeah. Film. And the casting, like you were saying, Glenn, I'm just so blown away with this. And a, a couple of these, I hope we talk about this later, they weren't original casting choices. Some things fell into place here. Oh, yeah. And I'm so glad the cards fell the way they did. And this is how it worked out because they just knocked it out of the park. Mm -hmm. This movie is a 10 for me. I don't hand out 10 slightly. <laughs> I think this is Tarantino's masterpiece. There's, there's, well, you mentioned like the rewriting of history. This is kind of the first Tarantino film to do that. He did that again in Django and he did yeah. that really heavily in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, just essentially changed everything that happened with the Sharon Tate murder. And so this is, this is kind of like the beginning of a trend for him. This is a movie like best served by a rewatch. Like Glenn, you said you'd seen this twice. Mm -hmm. I think this morning was the sixth or seventh time I've seen it. And each time I see it, I pick up something else. Like this morning when I watched it, I, I saw the one scene with Hitler saying the Americans are on the beach. So this is essentially a movie where they knew they were done for, but and this is kind of just like one last gasp for, for Nazi Germany. And I also picked up on the scene where Shoshana film. I didn't even know they, they showed this. And I just picked up Shoshana, the giant face video, which is in the, the final chapter of this movie. Because mm -hmm. this, this is a tough movie to do scenes for because it's broken down into five. Your scenes are basically chapters. every chapter of the movie. It's broken down into five chapters. Chapters. Uh, the first one, Once Upon a Time in Nazi-Occupied France. Chapter two, Inglorious Bastards. Chapter three, German Night in Paris. Four, Operation Kino. And five, Revenge of the Giant Face. So, Glenn, on your second time watching it, did you pick up a lot more than on your first viewing? Yeah, and I think um, what Tarantino did brilliantly here, and I think why probably for you, Jackie, this rings as a masterpiece, is he took a lot of what he had tried to do before, and he just made it better. I mean, he just did everything better here than, you know, Pulp Fiction is an amazing film, but those vignettes can get a little bit, you know, lost because it's so disparate in a lot of ways until it ties together at the end. This was the vignette scenes, but they all served a purpose of getting us 
to that final point in the movie, you know, where we see everything come together. The violence that is so prevalent in Reservoir Dogs is here. But again, instead of being kind of wordy and over the top, which Reservoir Dogs at times can feel that way, here the dialogue all flows into getting us to that violence and we buy that it's the outcome of the scene, right? Like that's the thing that people don't realize they want in violence is it has to get, we have to earn it. We have to get there. It has to be the, the natural conclusion of what we're seeing. And in, in this movie, it just works so perfectly. So I think when I say he took what worked before and made it better, he took what he knew how to do and just like, all right, I got the budget and I got the actors. I'm going to just go all the way with this one. So, Jack, Jackie, same question for you. Upon rewatching this movie again and again, do you keep picking up on new things? I think that happens a lot in a typical rewatch experience. And I think I just come to appreciate it more and more. Like Glenn pointed out, Quentin Tarantino has evolved at this point in his writing, his direction, his cinematography. And he's not using violence just for the sake of violence or to throw in a violent scene. He's relating it to the dialogue and we're earning it. I think in this movie, I realized that Tarantino has really mastered dialogue here, made it direct, concise, really well-paced and intriguing it's giving us that constant feeling of a rubber band being stretched and stretched and waiting for it to snap and just creating that tension and even upon a rewatch with this I'm still feeling that heart pounding tension in multiple scenes even though I know what's going to happen <laughs> and I'm I'm analyzing it more and there's the scene I want to talk to you guys about later on to see if I'm on the right track of it, because I had a different interpretation of it previously, but now I have thoughts otherwise. So I look forward to further discussion. Excellent. Look forward to that as well. So Brad Pitt in this movie, I think when we first saw Brad Pitt in the late 80s, early 90s, we thought maybe this would be the next James Dean. And then towards like 98, when he started doing movies like Meet Joe Black, and even in the later 2000s when he started doing movies like Babel or The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. We thought maybe this would be like a Robert Redford type. But he, I think he's not like really comparable to anybody. He's kind of like the first Brad Pitt. So he does like the serious roles. And then he's he's been in like, he's been in roles where he's kind of in on the joke. I think mainly of like Ocean's Eleven or Burn After Reading where he's like these kind of goofy characters. I think his character in this, Aldo Rain, is kind of like a combination of the two. He's a very serious character, but he's also like just someone that, who's very funny. And I just I think this is probably his best role. And I, I think it's just the character is just so unique. Glenn, what do you think about Pitt in this movie or him in general? Any thoughts? That, that's a fascinating, like a fascinating point to say that, you know, this might be his best role. I am like a original like Ocean's Eleven guy with him. I think that is one of his best. And I I, I but I agree where you could make the point that this is one of his best roles or maybe his best role. I, you perhaps the most, and, and I don't want to go too much because I want to say it for the scenes, but, but perhaps the most laughable line in the movie is Bongiorno. <laughs> you know, we, we know that we know that he's just talked up how good he is at Italian and that's out. And, and, and we know that it's correct. We know that he, the word, you know, but it's the joke of Brad Pitt lands it so perfectly. Um, I think 
that is we knew that if you listen to any of the stuff about this or read about him he's wanted to work with tarantino for a long time so when this opportunity came along and it worked out it you know that's one of those examples of like perfectly casting a guy who can do the intensity of scalping nazis and make it funny and a guy who can go i speak perfect italian and make it a big joke like <laughs> the 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 dichotomy of those things is, is fascinating and i i do think he is at the top of his game here whether or not it's his best performance or not that's obje- you know subjective and up to debate and blah 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 but he is at the top of his game in this movie not even nominated for an oscar for this role Let, let's listen to this lineup listen to best best actor the nominees jeff bridges won for crazy heart and any any remembrance of crazy heart also I remember nominated. it. I remember it exists. <laughs> I didn't even know it exists. I don't remember. Okay. Not one we're going to cover in the future. Also nominated, George Clooney, Up in the Air. Okay. Good movie. I like that movie. Uh, Morgan Freeman, Inv- Invictus. Jeremy Renner, The Hurt Locker. Okay. Colin Firth, A Single Man. I, I feel like we could probably get rid of three of those and replace Pitt with any one of those in that category. It's, it's kind of a shame that he wasn't nominated. Yeah. Jackie, same question for you. Any brad pitt thoughts dave that's a really interesting thought that you said that this could possibly be brad pitt's best role so i'm gonna want to think about that some more i <laughs> that's a very good thought uh, i love seeing him as a character actor and kind of taken out of those pretty boy shoes yeah it, it reminds me a lot of when tom cruise was in collateral and when they they gave him a role that was completely different from what he was used to playing, I love seeing that and seeing a broader range for actors like him. He's really entertaining in this role. I, I buy the act as Aldo the Apache, and his accent is really <laughs> convincing and hilarious, and he pronounces Nazi as Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got a slightly cartoonish aspect to him, um, amidst all this gruesome events that are transpiring because of him. So we've got a little bit of dark comedy there, but I think that's something that really rounds out the film and makes it watchable. So we do an MVP for the movie at the end of the show. MVP for this movie to the Academy was Christoph Waltz, who won the the, the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. This was kind of the first time for me, I don't know if for either of you, this is the first time I into my and yeah he was the first time he was into my consciousness was this movie as colonel hans landa and since he's done this role like every every role he's been in is kind of like a variant of this character it's not like he like pitt where he does all these like different kinds of characters like i come comes to mind immediately is the character of blowfield his his villain right. role in the james bond films mm. it's basically variant like every movie he's done is kind of like it's 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 kind of the same thing. I, I want to say is like typecast so that's why when we do our mvp i'm kind of like foreshadowing where i'm landing a little bit i kind of think of the career of peter sellers a little bit he was a guy who was in a lot of great roles but his two best roles were the movies he did with stanley kubrick dr strange love and lolita and i kind of think of christopher waltz in that vein like all of his roles were good, but his two best were the two Tarantino movies he did, this and Django. Glenn, any Christoph Waltz fault? Any Christoph Waltz thoughts or him I love him. I think he is I think he is, as you said, I think he's 
not used always in ways that I love. But I, I mean, I was just looking at his IMDb to confirm this. This was one of the first English Amer- like movies that's really prominent on his IMDb. Like he had done yep. a few things, but this was like the first really prominent thing. And what I find fascinating about that is after that he took off. Like after he did this, he exploded and he was in all sorts of stuff. And I mean, for me as someone who thinks that you know Daniel Craig Bonds are just phenomenal overall, he, that character is well realized. But I can see your point of saying it kind of feels the same when you and it's not his fault i just think i think he gets put into that box and this movie it really works i would love to see what he could do if he was given a chance to not be that sure jackie same one same question any christoph waltz takes yes christoph waltz is an excellent villain and yeah. he is haunting and gives me chills in this performance yes, yes in this movie he is he is a psycho but he is seemingly charming and then he rips the rug from beneath you he's incredible in this role i'm so glad he got the oscar for um hans landa i understand exactly what you guys are saying though with almost describing him as being typecast in other films and i personally have trouble separating him from this role this was his everest for me personally it's hard to get back up to that level he was excellent in Django as well yeah of course uh, i have to mention that but it this was his ultimate character in my opinion Glenn, if you want to see him in a more lighthearted role, you might consider Battle Angel Alita. Yes. He mm-hmm. plays a more fatherly figure and the complete opposite of what I would even expect he was capable of, you know, talking about typecasting. However, he knocked it out of the park in, in that role as well. So I and I and that that is a favorite film of mine. So I definitely recommend that. But wow, and I have to also say that I don't think Inglorious Bastards would have been the film that it was without Christoph Waltz as Hans Landa. And we're definitely going to talk about what could have been when we do uh, the According to the Internet, because there were there were some casting almost. There indeed, would have indeed. Made and I'm so glad it worked place. out. <laughs> this but, way. Yeah, we'll we'll save that. And it's just yeah, his character, I kind of thought of he was kind of like a mixture of both Joffrey and Tywin. For, they'll make a little Game of Thrones reference here. Joffrey and, just, and there's Joffrey and Tywin from Game of Thrones. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and just, like, in the opening scene where he's he's complimenting La Petite on, on his milk, and then he just gets stone-faced. You're sheltering enemies of the state, aren't you? Just, like, right away. And in the scene where he kills Bridget von Hammersmark, he's, like, having a cordial conversation with them, but you know because he's found the napkin with her autograph on it, he's gonna kill her, and he just lunges goes from like conversationalist to choking the life out of her. Just super vicious. I loved him in this role. In addition to these two, there's a ton of characters on the side here. We got Michael Fassbender, uh, Melanie Laurent, who you mentioned, uh, Diane Kruger, BJ Novak, Ryan from The Office is in this movie. There's just so Ryan many. from The Office. I love how that's how you refer to him. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I think of him, too. It's just so well, funny that that stuck for him. <laughs> well, yeah, well, you think BJ Novak, do you think his character in Inglorious, or do you think 
ride from the oh, office. Oh, no, absolutely. I just think that, that, I mean, consistently, that is the title that comes up for him when he gets referenced as a, as a, <laughs> I've got some office takes that I'm going to save in the scenes later, but yeah, the, he, it was just great seeing him in this, in this role. Eli Roth as the bear Jew, just, there's just so many like cool characters in this movie and like the smaller parts. Glenn, did anyone stand out for you? I, I want to see Melanie Laurent and everything. I think yeah. she is so good. I, I, I was looking at her IMDb earlier as well, just trying to get my, you know, myself a little bit more familiar with it, making sure I hadn't missed anything. And I mean, she's obviously done a lot. Like yeah. when you look at her film, you know, filmography, but man, I was, I mean, first of all, I was in love. She's gorgeous. But second of all, I was just, what an amazing performance. And, and that's really hard, right? Cause everyone in this movie, I'm kind of like, dang, you're just you're nailing it. But she was, she blew me away. Let me ask you, Glenn, as someone who's had acting training, Michael Fassbender's character in this movie is a German-born man who flees to Ireland, has to pretend that he doesn't know German to be a ger- to be a spy on the Germans. I would imagine there's like levels of nuance in a role like that that you you can't even teach really. Is that accurate? Yeah, I mean, and and this is this is just the truth always. There's there is always a level of intuition and in acting that some people have and some people don't. And that's not up for you know, me or anyone to say. I think you just see it. That's why Christoph Christoph Waltz is so engaging. That's why Michael Fassbender is so engaging. That's why Brad Pitt's so engaging. They have intuition and just do things that make sense. But when it comes to Michael Fassbender, who I mean, talk about a chameleon. I have seen him in so many different things and in so many different ways. And every time I see something of his, even if I don't love the thing, I'm like, yeah, but he was good. Yeah. The thing might not have been great, but he, I have yet to see something where I was like, eh, you know, he was fine, you know? So I, I think when you're asking about that, it is not only nuance. It's, it's when you realize that the thing he screwed up was a, was a gesture, a, a, uh, a, a, terrible. a hand gesture. And you're like, how long, how long did they spend to get to that one thing after this long scene? And he probably was the one who was like, I'm going to do it. Like yeah. You yeah. Know? And I don't, that's like kind of like the genius of Tarantino a little bit, just knowing like these little details. And this was 2009. So this was just talk about a, ca- a casting that aged perfectly well, because around this time he was, Fassbender was mainly doing like indie films. Right. This is about this is about two years before he was Magneto and Shame. Just before he started erupting as one of the biggest stars in the world. Jackie, same question for you. Anybody from the side cast outside of Pitt and Waltz stand out for you? I have to shout out to Michael Fassbender as well. He is yeah. such a high caliber actor, and I loved seeing him in this role. This I think this is the first time I really came across him, and he caught my attention. He's such a capable actor, like you guys are saying, and amidst very good company in this film, he's got that nice, really chiseled, serious look to his face, and he's got this intensity that I really appreciate for this role. So I'm really happy to see him here. And then you guys also touched on Melanie Laurent as well. She is solid in this role and gorgeous, as you said. She embodies this French, I don't give a fuck attitude, especially around uh, Zola when he's <laughs> pestering her. And I I can see the direction behind these actors and I can see that bringing out the best of their talents to really make this film 
absolutely entertaining to watch. Yeah, seeing Daniel Brühl as Frederick Zoller kind of it kind of made it tough for me to get on the Zemo train last year when uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier was on. <laughs> Everyone was was on that train. I wasn't feeling that either, and I was <laughs> I was like, why don't I like this guy? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait a second. <laughs> so, in addition to those, there are some castings in this movie that just scream, "I'm Quentin Tarantino, and you're not." Yes. For example, we have Mike Myers in one scene, oh. arguably one of the best scenes. I in don't the movie. like that. I don't <laughs> okay. like that at all. I was wondering if this was going to happen. I figured we'd get one who'd go, it was great, and one who'd go, oh, I, I love it. Like bars <laughs> in the globe. And he's like, what shall we toast to? Down with Hitler? All the way down. Just, just, you can tell they're, they're probably improving most of that. So, in addition to Mike Myers, who could have been doing like Austin Powers 5 at this point, and he's just showing up in, one scene in a Tarantino movie. Just good for him. I love seeing him in this. Sorry you didn't, Jackie. <laughs> I thought that was a misfire. I don't think he should have been there. I don't right, know but who else would that, have been slightly more interesting to watch, but I didn't I didn't agree with that. We had Rod Taylor in his last movie role ever as Churchill, just sitting in the background, kind of doing nothing, says brief him. Samuel L. Jackson is doing voiceover work for Hugo Stiglitz and talking about the dangers of 35 millimeter nitrate film. Like, okay, yes, let, let's go. The, the OSS commander on the other end of the line towards the end of the movie, when Landa and Rain negotiate the deal, it's the voice of Harvey Keitel. So there's like just plenty of like A-list castings in this movie. As I, I'm not going to, as I just said, it's only things you might get in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Glenn, did any of those stand out for you or were there any I missed? I, I found it fascinating with the Mike Myers casting because I, when I watched it again, I was like, that's right, Mike Myers is in this movie. And it's one of those, when you think, okay, 2009, that makes a lot of sense. But I guess it's just been so long that for a moment I was like, oh, right, he was a thing. And he yeah. was a big thing <laughs> a for thing. a while. And I just forgot. The one I'm just looking to see, I don't know that I've seen him in anything else, but I was always a little bit weirded out by... um. Martin Wutke is Hitler. Okay. I, I don't, yeah. I don't know why. I don't know if I, I don't think the character portrayal was well done, but I don't know if that was his fault or Tarantino going, we're going to make a very comedically bad Hitler in the, you know, like, yeah, I couldn't quite figure it out. When I look at this cast, it was Mike Myers and him where I was kind of like, I'm not sure that that got it for me. All right. So Jackie, I want to hear why so anti Myers. It just seems like Austin Powers walked into the room. Maybe I've typecast him myself. <laughs> I haven't seen him in too many of a serious role. It didn't fit for me. Okay. It didn't well, seem natural. Did any of those that I mentioned, or was there any I, I missed from like those? Did Were you like, oh, that's Samuel L. or that's Harvey Keitel on the phone? Because that was another thing I talked about earlier. You pick things up on a rewatch. I think the third time I saw this movie, I was like, wait, that was Harvey Keitel on the phone. Did it, any of those stand out for you at all? I didn't realize that was Harvey Keitel, but I did realize it was Samuel L. Jackson. I'm always, I always have my eye out for him in Tarantino films. All right, so why don't we take a break and we'll come back and talk about our favorite scenes. All right, we're back. Favorite scenes. So we talked about this, uh, whether or not we want to go in sequential order. I want to start with the Tavern Massacre, and then I'm sure you two are going to want to rewind on me. That's my favorite scene in this movie. It's just Hickox, Fassbender's character, and August Steele. Let me just specify that I am anti-Nazi. Dave Demarest, firm anti-Nazi. 
but Dieter Hellstrom for a Nazi name is a very, very cool name, objectively speaking. That's <laughs> you could tell that's a very terrifying character. If I was gonna like dr- make up the Nazi in a in a script, I would want a name like Dieter Hellstrom, and it's just these two playing chess with each other until one person fucks up. And Glenn, you mentioned the three fingers earlier. It just, just so just crazy how that was what started this massacre, ended Fassbender's character. It's, you see the two of them and you see Brad Pitt before is like, you don't set up a meeting in a basement. Just keeps telling them this over and over again because the absolute worst case scenario happened. And the one character, Wilhelm, who... Finally, just is drunk as shit because he just had a baby, but he, he notices Fassbender's accent is a little off. And, you know, none, none of us would notice a German accent, fair to say. I don't think any of us speak German. We would notice a German accent being a little off. But in the one scene where, you know, the famous line, well, oh boy, if I'm going to go out, might as well go out speaking the Kings. <laughs> and Hellstrom says, by all means, he speaks English too. His English is kind of like robotic a little bit. So mm-hmm. we're the point where if any of us heard him speaking at the bar, we might say that accent's a little weird in his English. So you can tell where these characters are, are coming from when they hear weird English accents. And then we just get like an all time massacre here. Just a great shootout. We get Hugo Stiglitz say all feeders into your Nazi balls. And just we're, we're on here. Glenn, what'd you think of this scene? This is one of a couple, but I I believe that this is what I was talking about earlier when I say you earn the violence that you're building. They start with these Nazis playing this card game, and you're kind of like, all right, we're introducing ourselves to Diane Kruger's character. I get that we're introducing who she is, but that whole setup is like, no, that's actually the scene. This whole scene is that game of who am I? Can you guess? And yeah. they just, I mean. Very meta. Right, Tarantino takes it from the actual card game to the table conversation of you can't guess who I am, you know, um, or I can't guess who I, you know, and 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 I just I think that that's fascinating because it goes and it goes and it goes, and then the violence happens and it's quick. It's not the violence of the film burning, cinema burning down at the end, but you get such a okay. I was not expecting Michael Fassbender's character to die right there. <laughs> yeah. He's in this movie for 17 minutes. Right. And and it's a glorious, inglorious, no, glorious 17 minutes of Michael Fassbender before Brad Pitt comes back in and goes, well, now what? (laughs) (laughs) I just think it's a brilliantly crafted scene, like Jackie said, very meta. And I could go on, but I won't. (laughs) And we get like a little parallel. We get, then this is kind of like stepping on internet stuff a little bit. We get Quentin Tarantino's theory on what, on King Kong being a parallel for American slavery with King Kong, how he came to America on a boat in chains. And this was a metaphor for the United States and slavery. And that, those were his actual thoughts in King Kong that he had Hellstrom talk about in the card game. Jackie, what do you think of this scene? There are so many facets to this scene that are incredible. I love how they build up the tension with this back and forth chess game that's building with intensity and they're really starting to play with fire. Michael Fassbender lecturing the young private Hellstorm about his accent and the other guy stepping in and and 
how dare you talk to one of your superiors that way? And just really perpetuating this act that is a very big tell and come to find out they have guns pointed at each other's crotches and this in a very serious level of checkmate. Obviously, the holding up the three fingers, not in the German style, was the dead giveaway. And literally, I was so shocked that actual shootout, it happened in what, like 10 or 15 seconds? It was like, boom, boom, boom. And it was done. It was shocking. And they killed Michael Fassbender. (laughs) And, you know, I'm going back to what you guys were saying about setting it up in a basement to begin with. I really like that because I already sense that something is going to go wrong here because it's not interesting if it goes smoothly for them. And so putting them in a place with only one exit cornered by a group of German soldiers who are drunk, too, not not a good place to be. And but the, perfect place for the scene. Well, and the great, the great reveal of the German officer when you're like, okay, they're done, they've got through it. Oh, wait. No, they haven't, because here's this guy who's gonna come in and blow it all to hell. And you're like, we didn't even know he was there. We had And he just him. shows up with his boot of beer, and it's it's just like your presence is unwelcome here. Why is my presence unwelcome here? Just or is he serious? Is he not serious? Just, just we talk about like the ping pong match or the chess match, whatever metaphor you want to use here. And then it just ends up, I have my Walther pointed at your testicles. Why do you have your Walther pointed at my testicles? And it just, just we're on. This is such, this is such a good scene. This is my favorite scene in the movie. I know it's towards the middle, but I, I wanted to kind of get that one out there first. Jackie, what's the scene you liked? Let's rewind a little bit and talk about that first scene in chapter one beginning of the movie i can't overlook that it takes place on the farm in france it's introducing us to that buildup of worry we have the french family going about their day naturally and over the hills start coming these german soldiers it is a menacing scene when hans landa confronts the, the father in his home. It's a scene where everybody is kind of holding their breath and Lapidit, you know he's hiding something. And then we, at one point of the conversation, the camera pans below the table and looks under the floor and you see the family that they are sheltering and hiding. And Landa introduces us to his style here. I'm gonna go back to my rubber band analogy where he's stretching things out as long as he can. He even takes a couple glasses of milk and he smokes his pipe and giant he, at, pipe. Yeah. It's yeah. At the end, he, he masquerades out pretending like he has left them off the hook, like everything's okay. And then wham, he just, just wails everybody with this. And it was such a powerful scene and a very powerful way to start this movie. And just like the way he he interchanges between French and English, and he even says in French, "I've extended the ex- I've extended my French abilities. I would only serve to embarrass myself." When it's very clear he's quite fluent in French, and he's just switching the English because he knows if there's a Jewish family below the floorboards, they're not going to understand a word That's he's saying. French. And just 
extra chilling when he's walking away about to kill this family saying like, goodbye, have a great day in, in French, like bonjour, what, what have you. And he's about to just massacre this family ultimately, except for Shoshana who gets away. Glenn, what'd you think of the, the opening scene in this movie? Um, I, I am, I am a fan of that. It is like the dramatic period being played out perfectly. We are going, we know it's building, we know it's building, we know it's building a boom at crests, and you get the very end of that scene, right? Dennis Manache, who played Lapidite, was I just felt I wanted to cry for that guy the whole time. I was like, yeah. I know, I oh know what gosh. you're going through. Um, he plays the I mean, he there was another movie he was in recently, The French Dispatch, where he plays a prison guard, and he's he's always that soul you're empathizing with a little bit where you're just like, Oh, you poor guy. Oh, you're just in these horrible situations. And in this scene, as you know, Jackie pointed out, Christopher Waltz is there and he pulls out his massive pipe and he drinks the glasses of milk and you're like, he's never going to get away with this. But no. why is he taking his time? What is the deal? <laughs> and then he gets it and you're like, oh, because he knew they were there. He knew they were there the whole time. He just was, he was showing just, us who he was. He's so manipulative. Just a great line when he asks him, like, what have you heard about the Dreyfuses? And La Petite says, well, I've heard rumors and just fucking phenomenal line by waltz he's like i love rumors it's like facts can be so misleading but rumors no matter where they lead can be interesting it just like you know that that's a bumper sticker right there <laughs> just solid line yeah just chilling we we understand in the beginning of this movie who this guy is and what he's about um glenn what's the scene you like uh i i mean i don't want to jump forward too much but there i mean there's uh brad pitt's opening speech yes the scene where they're in the you know the cistern area and we're getting our first taste of who all the reigns is and and you know like jackie pointed out the the accent the nazis and the the humor (laughs) of it you're going i'm not sure is this movie because of course the first scene doesn't feel funny but then this scene is funny and you're and you're kind of wrestling back and forth of wait how am I supposed to feel right now? It's a, it, we just watched this horrible thing, and now they're being funny. I, I think that scene is so good, and and that speech is such a contrast to Waltz's speech in the first scene, where we're getting that sense of like, oh right, here's the hero, here's the good guy, here's the you know, here's the redeeming grace of this thing. Yeah. When he just says like, I want a hundred Nazi scalps, <laughs> he's like, and, and I I'll want get my, my scalps. Nazi scalps. Yeah. And just <laughs> and we we get this is in this scene we just get so much going on here. We get the Hugo Stiglitz needle drop and we, we Samuel L. Jackson doing the voiceover, just talking about all the things he did. We're introduced to the bear Jew who, and Brad Pitt's like, we got a German here who wants to die for his country. Oblige him. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost, I was it's almost, that today. <laughs> it's almost Kubrick, you know, esque like that. What is that? Full metal, uh, no, not full metal jacket, full metal jacket, the drill sergeant, the, you know, how yeah, intense Emery. it is almost you know i get that sense anyway just, yeah just yeah good. really really good scene and we're kind of like introduced to like who these guys are and yeah it's good op- good choice i think by tarantino to open with the the landa petite yes. la petite conversation as opposed to you know like make us uncomfortable first and then like bring like the heroes into the movie in the second scene uh really good one the next scene i have written down here is simply i have it in my notes as gorlami and this is this is, I know we're kind of like jumping around all over the place. Maybe you two will rewind on me again and that's fine. But I, I want to cite this scene. This is after the massacre. 
Von Hammersmark opts to take um, these three guys who don't speak any language other than English into this German theater, posing as an Italian stuntman, an Italian director, and his assistant. And just the three of these guys saying their names, <laughs> Gurlami. <laughs> Put some music in it. (laughs) And they're doing the Italian hand gestures. He's like, Margarete. And they're Dominic De Coco. And and just Walt's in the scene, too. You're thinking, okay, he's not going to be able to tell because they're speaking Italian. And then, boom, he just he speaks fluent Italian. Like, oh, fuck me. (laughs) Fuck. Yeah. This (laughs) is his fourth language in the movie at that point. I mean,. Jeez. And it, like he does the thing where, you know, he makes you just a little bit uncomfortable when he asks Von Hammersmark what happens to her leg. And he obviously knows because in the previous scene, he had pulled out her napkin with the autograph on it. So he knows that she was at this massacre. So he, he asks her what happened and she says her, he hurts her leg mountain climbing. He laughs just like a little too much. He walks oh my away gosh. and starts laughing and you're just super uncomfortable. Like we, the audience know that he found the napkin but she doesn't know this at this point so it's just like what is happening here it just just a great scene all on hilarious yet terrifying at the same time jackie what would you think of that scene dave just like you were describing i'm so glad you mentioned it that when landa starts laughing oh my gosh it is the most uncomfortable portion and you (laughs) see it on the characters faces but as an audience member you're like holy shit, they're not getting away from this. They are <laughs> they are not going to walk away from this. How can this happen? And, you know, Br- Bridget von, von Hammersmark very clearly is not going to walk away from this, especially because he corners her in an office, closes the door, and consequently strangles her yeah. to death. And can I just add that scene on the back of your scene real quick? Yeah. It's another Hans Landa drawn out tension scene that that builds up and we know something bad is going to happen we know he knows something we're starting to learn his patterns here and i enjoy that point where she reaches into the back and she's feeling around she's like what the heck is this guy doing i i I can pull this off she has this epiphany on her face and she pulls out her very own shoe which was a left over from the tavern scene yep. that Hans Landa found in addition to the handkerchief that she had autographed and she slips on that shoe and she's just kind of accepting her fate. And then he, he immediately lunges across yeah. the room and flies at her, strangling her immediately and killing her. And I also have to point out that, Quentin Tarantino notoriously has a foot fetish. And so <laughs> many, many, many a foot shot in this scene. And it always makes me chuckle a little bit. I like this line delivery. When, 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 he, when, he, when she fits the shoe and he go and Landa goes, he's like, what's that saying about shoes and feet? And it's just like, he doesn't know like the English, the English expression. And we get that. And then that, another scene I have talking about bingo, where he doesn't get like just American bingo. expressions. <laughs> That's a bingo. Uh, I mean, <laughs> Well, but I love that, you know, this scene, because, and Dave, I, you brought it up so well, the play out beforehand is he lets the two go. He clearly knows that they are not who they say they are, but he puts them in their cinema seats anyway. He, you know, uh, takes uh, Von Hammersmith into the office and, and starts uh, um, 
you know, talking to her. And what I love is when the shoe comes out and he says, what's the saying? We're suddenly thrown back to the once upon a time at the beginning. And you know that this is, this is Tarantino saying, okay, we're back in fairy tale land now. This is, this is the moment where, we're, where everything's going to start to go off the rails a little bit because the shoe fits. That's your Cinderella moment, but it's a horrible Cinderella moment because he strangles her to death. Um, you know, to the point, I mean, I, I mean, what was it? I was reading something like Tarantino himself in the close-up shot of the hands was it's actually Tarantino's hands yep. doing the, <laughs> doing the strangling in that scene. And you're like, man, Wow, what what commitment here to to get us to that moment. I wanted to add to yeah. that real quick. I read on the internet that he actually strangled her to a point of passing out. Because he was con- yes, he I was worried well. about it looking realistic. So yeah. I don't know if that's an internet thing or what, because I don't think HR would approve of that. And <laughs> Glenn, I mean, you you ensure people's safety on yeah, the stage, I, right? I I've seen that and it's not the first time I've seen claims like that. Um, not specifically with him, but it kind of directors who've done that. And it doesn't surprise me. Um, they yeah. There is this subtle belief that we won't buy it. But I, I think this that's one of the issues I sometimes have with his violence is like, it's a little bit of a slap in the face of the audience to say like, you're not going to buy this. I have to do this to the point where it actually happens so that you buy that it happened. And like, no, my suspension of disbelief is real. I'm watching a movie about <laughs> Nazis being killed. I think I'm going to be fine. If we Agreed. don't see the, you know, it, it's okay. But you know what? That's me. That's my personal thing. I, if, if you ever work with me and you hurt somebody, we're going to have a problem, but it, it, it's a good movie. So I can't, I can't fault that. You know. I think if that was true, that is absolutely crossing the line. And yeah, I, and I don't, I don't want to sit here and blame. I don't know if it's true. So I'm not going to pretend like I do, you know, but same here. You know. All right. So the next scene I have written down here, yeah, I have it as Aldo Landa. This is, basically the next scene in the movie, this is after he Landa kind of reveals his true intentions in this scene that he ultimately is just about himself, you know, him working for the SS. That was, you know, he, he thinks of himself as a detective. He killed Von Hammersmark because to her, she was a traitor, but he lets the bastards live because he wants to make a deal. Um, I had mentioned that was going to make an office reference they're talking about their nicknames in this, and he calls uh, B.J. Novak's character. He's, he's like, the Germans have a nickname for you. He says, the little man, and just a great exchange between him and Landa. <laughs> and he's like, they call me the little man? And he, he's, he's like, I'm a little surprised at how tall you are. He's like, you're not that big, but you're not circus midget little. And this is just kind of like an exchange I could see between Ryan and Michael Scott in, in the office. <laughs> sure. And I, I, I just True. thought this was like a really good scene. And you could tell like, Landa, for as evil as he is, he wants Reigns' respect. They, he wants them to be operating on a level of mutual respect. They ultimately make they they broker a deal where he's going to let this attack happen. He's going to let Goebbels and Hitler and all the main command die here in exchange for he wants an island. He wants a house on Nantucket Island and American citizenship. So he's kind of playing a double agent here. He lets the lets the bastards go through with their plan in exchange for he says, I don't want to be sitting in front of a Jewish tribunal when this when the war is over he goes we can end the war tonight if i don't pick up this phone and they ultimately go through the deal this when we hear the oss commander voiced by harvey Keitel on the other end of the line i just i just thought this was like a really good scene i thought that exchange between bj novak didn't really have much dialogue in this movie and i thought that was that was a funny bit jackie what'd you think of that scene i love this scene it's such an important scene because it's 
basically the catalyst that winds up ending the war. And it's so important for this history rewrite to make this happen. And I love how Christoph Waltz has this all planned out. He has figured this out for a long point of time. He has his whole shopping list, how he wants a a place on Nantucket Island and all these excuses for him. And Brad Pitt's character has a way to, okay, we can end the war with this. We can make this work, but we're not letting you go without a souvenir. (laughs) The look on Christoph Waltz's face when uh, he realizes the tables have turned on him. He was not counting on this sneak attack from Brad Pitt. Yeah, he's not swastika on his forehead. He's probably, I would say he's more hurt by the fact that there wasn't that mutual respect than the fact that he got a swastika carved onto his forehead. He really just wanted these, he just wanted Brad Pitt to ultimately respect him. And when he finds out he doesn't, he just seems like genuinely hurt by that. Just kind of like the nuance in the in the character. Another like testament to Waltz as an actor here. Uh, Glenn, what'd you think of that scene? I, I think it's so good. I, I we pointed briefly to the bingo bit. The that's a bingo, and you're like, <laughs> and I think his joy, Christoph Waltz's joy in that in that moment, like it seems like actual joy when he said yeah. that line. And I was like, I kind of smiled a little bit, which I shouldn't, you know, don't think I should have for what was going on. But it's just like, man, talk about a scene where you're like okay, okay, how does this end in our, you know, in a good way? Well, obviously right. the ending comes later, but um, just that idea of like, that's a bingo. I, I think that that just stuck with me long after that scene was over. All right, so the last one I have written down here is the Giant Face Massacre. Um, did either of you have, that's kind of towards the end of the movie. Did either of you have any other things you wanted to note? So I want to talk about, I'm going to call it, like you just said, the strudel scene where Shoshana has been pressured into using her cinema as a venue for a huge Nazi Germany film premiere for uh, Frederick Soler. He's been a pest throughout this film. He's annoying to watch. The writing for his pestilence and his portrayal of this really annoying soldier is spot on and so Shoshana is picked up in a car by German soldiers and told her they tell her get your ass in the car and she's you just got to comply I mean that's how that's how it was back then that's that was creepy and she ends up at this restaurant talking with all the bigwigs here for this film premiere for Zoller's film as if that wasn't already kind of uncomfortable enough Uh, Landa shows up and this is the first time she's seen him since he's murdered her family and she ran away and as soon as she sees him as soon as he walks in the door the music in this scene just is like bam it's a pounding heart that is like just bam 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 and increasing with intensity and I think my palms are starting to sweat talking about it but Holy shit. She she gets up to leave and he puts his hand on her shoulder and forces her to sit back down. Yeah. And all along we're thinking, oh my God, does he know? Does he know? Does he really know? Does he know who she is? Oh my gosh. He orders strudel for her, for both of them. And then he orders her 
a glass of milk. Yep. Hmm, not one for himself. I think he orders tea for himself, yeah. but milk. Hmm. Is this the manipulative Landa that we know? Right. Um, then he's he's going through his motions painstakingly slowly, as we've come to learn that Landa likes to do. And he starts questioning her, how do you um, come to own the cinema? What's your what's your background with this? And you're still questioning, like, does he know? Does he know? And is my face giving this away? And he even goes to, he, he lights a cigarette and offers her one and he's rambling about it. He barely takes a drag on the cigarette and there's a, just a little bit of ash left on the end, which kind of suggests he just, he doesn't care. He's dragging this out for the fun of it. Yeah. Before he puts the cigarette out, he says, I can't, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you, but oh, I just can't recall. Yeah. It must not have been important. And then he, and that's it. And then Shoshana finally breathes and she got through this. And this is what I was mentioning earlier. Do you guys think he knew? That's, that's kind of an <laughs> unanswerable question because we know he didn't forget what he wanted to ask because he's a very smart guy. So there's not a chance he wanted to ask something and then he just forgot what it was. I think he just mm -hmm. wanted to make her uncomfortable. Even if he doesn't know per se, he gets off on making people feel mm. unease, uncomfortable. And he did just that. And we could see as soon as he walks away, she gasps because she knows ex if he doesn't know, even if he doesn't know who she is, she knows exactly who he is. This is the man who killed my whole family. And she has to just kind of like put on a brave face and she, her performance not to be overlooked in the scene, just really good. I mean, you're sitting face to face with the guy who killed your whole family eating a strudel and it's, just yeah i know glenn you had this listed in your scenes what would you think of this one for me the moment when they're alone is when the scene actually starts i think the whole first part of it's great i think you're right we get the vileness of this you know war hero and of you know goebbels and and wanting to do the film but the scene really really takes over when it's just the two of them and for me part of it was you get where he comes in he puts his hand on shoulder, he forces it to, to sit down but when they're alone, this is a perfect example of how sound editing can really change the whole feel of a scene. Beautiful. Because mm -hmm. there's almost no sound. You hear him chewing. Mm -hmm. You hear the scrape of their cutlery. You don't hear the patrons. You don't really hear any music. It's just kind of the vileness of his questions, her responses, and that gross him eating this strudel you know, for the mo majority of the scene. And I'm like, we're holding our breath with her because there is nothing there for us to relieve. You know, there's no music. There's nothing. In answer to your question, Jackie, I I am always on, I, I'm on the fence of whether he knew or not. I don't think he did. I think Dave's right. I think, um, you know, he just is good at making people uncomfortable. But that glass of milk was the moment where I was like, that's so specific. Yeah. That's so specific. I just don't know. I just, oh man. But then there is no violence. He just gets up and he goes. And it's yeah. such a contrast to the rest of this movie. And we, are, we already talked about a scene, the scene with Von Hammersmark, how a scene with him ends if she says the wrong thing. Yeah, and this, this didn't end the same way for her, thankfully. But we just, we, I think, I think if you ask Quentin Tarantino, did he know, he would probably just 
kind of smile at you and not answer. It's just exactly it's just one of those things uh, kind of just left to the imagination here. And I want to follow up to that, that I was listening to an interview with Quentin Tarantino and he does specifically do that. He leaves gaps in things to give more imagination to the viewer and to flesh out the experience. He intentionally does that. So I really think this is a signature Tarantino tell here. Just like, just like spelling bastards wrong in the title. <laughs> mm-hmm. he, if you ask why did he do that? He, he won't, he won't answer he that won't question tell you. because he thinks it's beneath him. It's, it's just, <laughs> just, just what are those things? It's artistic choice. <laughs> So the last scene I have here is the giant face massacre. They're watching Nation's Pride, the Frederick Zoller film. At this point, Zoller and Shoshana have already killed each other. So they're both dead, but she managed to get the fourth reel of the film in before she was killed. And it's just terrifying, probably awesome for us, terrifying if you're a Nazi. Because you're watching this film, and then all of a sudden Shoshana's giant face comes in in English. And she says, I have a message for Germany that you're all going to die. And she's like, look deep into the face of the Jew who's going to do it. And then she tells Marcel, her projectionist, and her boyfriend, light it down. And they essentially, all of this 35 millimeter nitrate film, it kind of reminded me of Cersei Lannister blowing up the Septa Baylor when they had all the, the wildfire beneath it. The same premise there. He just tosses that cigarette onto the, all the film there. And the place just lights up. You see, they've already locked all these people in. They're like like rats. I think um, Landa made a, a metaphor for Jews being rats spreading disease in the first scene with La Petite. And then we see all these Germans like just trying to flee out of this theater like rats. And they're getting burned down. There's uh, We see the, the bear Jew. They're up top. They've already killed Hitler. Great scene with the bear Jew shooting Hitler. And we see his face just kind of like slow, like chunks of his face go off as he's shooting him. So if, you, if you're a fan of violence, Hitler had a pretty good death scene. They're both killed and they're shooting everybody from the top. Just a brutal scene, but I, I loved it so much. Glenn, what'd you think of the scene? I I mean, I loved it. I, I can see this is Tarantino saying cinema is going to save the world. Uh, I mean, it's such a kind of like, on the nose thing um to me the big the big head is wizard of oz it's the man behind yeah. the curtain while she's the woman behind the projector right i right. know what's coming i you know i i have the power um and oh, man right what's all what do all the articles say the idea of Taran, tarantino says who who doesn't want um who doesn't want to go back in time and kill hitler well <laughs> here's your chance to see it and it was cinema that did it i i, I think it's meta i think it's hilarious i also think it's gruesome somehow not as gruesome as the end of once upon a time in hollywood but still just what and then and of course there are actual safety issues on set which is its own thing but crazy crazy intense explosive literally scene you were you were reading my mind there glenn with that once upon a time metaphor because i i was just about to say they saved the most violent scene for the end of that movie in both of these films, the most violent scene comes at the very end. Right. And it's just so, and it, it's just at a time where there wasn't, there were violent scenes, but this was just like a sledgehammer to the face. Just so great. Just a great end to the movie. Jackie, what'd you think of the giant face massacre? 
I really appreciated this scene. Um, this is what we I was saying earlier, where what I essentially paid to see was this ultimate history rewrite. Hitler getting pumped full of lead. Um, just a very powerful and, I guess, satisfying scene. A couple of aspects of it that I like. I love that one shot where Marcel flicks his cigarette into the pile of the nitrate film. He says, oui, Shoshana. And <laughs> it, you see the cigarette flying through the air with a little wisp of smoke following it and then flames all of these real flames and it's, it's almost a romantic. really awesome it's moment weird. yes <laughs> yes there is an aspect of romance to this you guys hit a lot of a lot of the the high points there i actually want to look at the scene just before this where shoshana is preparing for this Sure. giant catastrophic event at the film premiere. Yeah. And I love the David Bowie song, uh, putting out the fire with gasoline for the scene. Yep. It is timed out perfectly. We see Shoshana standing at the window. She, you could see her reflection. She's standing right next to um, the Nazi flag on the other side of the window. And it's so there's so much metaphor behind this. And I love the sequence. Uh, she's putting on her makeup like war paint. She's loading her gun and the music is souping up behind her. She's on fire. She's got her so much motivation. She's got confidence. She's got purpose and an attitude that she hasn't been able to feel. A power that she has lacked throughout this whole film and now she has the upper hand against the Nazis and she has a chance to strike back. It is such an iconic scene to me. I'm so pleased with how it worked out. Yeah, such a great such a great performance, such a great character, Shoshana Dreyfus in this movie, Melanie Laurent. Yeah, I loved her. I I'm, I know Glenn did too. And yeah, great great character there. All right, so I think that puts a button on scenes. According to the internet, we got a lot of casting almost here. And let's just start with the big one here. Leonardo DiCaprio was the original choice for Colonel Hans Landa. And no, (laughs) no. I mean, ultimately, what we got with Christoph Waltz, um, this movie would have been completely different, mainly because DiCaprio does not speak French, German, and Italian. I'm sure he could have faked it. Maybe, but it wouldn't have worked as well. I don't even know if they would have tried. Uh, yeah, Christoph Waltz in this. Very rare do I say Leonardo DiCaprio makes a movie worse. But in this instance, this might be the only instance where this happens. The 99.9% of the time where he would make a movie better is not here. Jackie, any thoughts on that? 100%, Dave. And I think that was such a good move by Tarantino. I know it unfolded in a different way, but casting Leo in Django instead as yeah. the Southern plantation owner, that was the role for him. Sure. Not Hans Landa. This was absolutely Christoph Waltz hands down. And I guess Tarantino preferred a native German speaking actor. So, yeah. you know, no, no offense to Leo, but I'm sure he's been doing okay. 
Yeah. Yeah. This, this definitely worked out. And Tarantino didn't even know if um, this movie was going to happen because yeah. he could not, he couldn't find the right person for Landa. And shortly after he was telling his team, he's like, I don't think this is going to work out. It's not going to yeah. happen. In that same day, he met Christoph Waltz and was enchanted by him. Uh-huh. And I can see why. Uh, Glenn, any similar feelings or feel differently about Leo? Uh, I mean, knowing, having gone and then read and looked at different things, I think when the movie was first conceived, Leo probably would have been the right choice. This was done, he was starting to work on this before Grindhouse and everything even came along, right? So like, sure, if you didn't know who Christoph Waltz was, Leonardo DiCaprio is going to be a solid choice. He's he's not going to be the right actor, but he's going to be a solid choice. He's going to give you a solid performance. And I think that's based on his film work, non-debatable. It would have been a solid performance. However, not the right performance. I think if Christoph Waltz had not been in this role, I don't think the movie does as well because you have to think, even though he's vile and terrible, he's charming. And it's, how do you pull that off? How do you pull off this horrible, horrible human being who's also charming the hell out of you? Christoph Waltz did it, so. Yeah. So it's a hard no on DiCaprio. I don't know if this is a hard no on the second casting almost for Hans Landa that I have. Michael Michael Fassbender auditioned for this role. Didn't get it. Ultimately, they cast him as Hickox. Native German speaker. I think this would have worked. I think he would have been a little more evil. If you've watched Mm. 12 Years a Slave, you know he can do evil very well. But Glenn, you just alluded to the charm factor of Waltz here. I don't, I mean... Fassbender's charming does this I I think this works obviously better than DiCaprio I wouldn't change Waltz but Fassbender is kind of an interesting choice here either of you have any thoughts on that one Fassbender has a lot of potential and range I really respect him as an actor and I think you're right he could fill these shoes but not at the same level as Christoph Waltz Glenn yeah, I, I just think I I I just think Waltz uh, here was the perfect villain. I'm having a hard time believing anybody else really fits in the same way he did here. Again, could have done it, should have done it is a totally different discussion. All right, so here's another one that might blow your minds. Um, this and this is you know this I preface every time this is called according to the internet. This is just things I read or we read and m- might just be total bullshit. Adam Sandler was linked to play the bear Jew. I love Eli Roth. This might've worked. This might've been pretty dope. Sandler is the bear Jew. Any thoughts? Uh, I'm, I'm a no, but I'm a no because he was making funny people when he, when this was being made and funny people is a movie that I love. I, it's good. Yeah. A lot of people don't like it. I understand. I'm not in that. Yeah. I love that movie. And I'm so glad that he was making that. Um, Again, probably would have been fine, but I'm just I'm I'm glad he wasn't. So. Yeah, love the funny people shout out. Underrated comedy there, uh, Jackie. Yes, no. I really can't picture Adam Sandler in this role, but then again, Tarantino's a great director, and maybe he could take him out of his typecast shoes that we typically see him in. We always see him in comedy. Um, but I hazard to say that he would have made it goofy. I, I don't expect much out of Adam Sandler other than goofy comedy. So 
I'm happy with the casting as it sure, is with Eli I Roth. Love Eli Roth in this role, but you know, I could, I think if anybody could have made it work with Sandler here, it, it was Tarantino. But you know, glad we got the Eli Roth here. All right, here's the last one I have, and if either of you have any more, we could we could talk about it. But Simon Pegg was got the role of Hickox, had to turn it down to star in The Adventures of Tintin. Never heard of this movie. Have either of you? Oh, oh sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, I, I saw okay. it. Mm-hmm. Enlighten me because I'm don't. i not familiar with it. Uh, I, I think I think it was a Spielberg attempt. It didn't work, but it was an attempt. Uh, okay. Yeah, I think that's a good summation. Uh, I think and, it's based on a comic strip. Yeah. Okay. And and again, it's, it's, it's not even that it was a bad movie. It just wasn't it wasn't i watched it and i don't need to watch it again you know and i think mm-hmm. sam Pegg probably felt he was making the exact right choice um and probably looks back now and is a little bit angry that he made that choice <laughs> so. worked out for fastbender i i and it worked out for us so. yes yeah the audience as well jackie same same thoughts on that i'm gonna echo what you guys are saying uh, fastbender was a great casting choice for this i think it helped put him on the map after this he certainly caught my attention in this film i can't picture simon Pegg in this role no nah, not really he doesn't right. have the intensity or the seriousness in my opinion yep no i 100 agree that is all the casting i do have in other internet stuff but those are all the casting almost i have jackie do you have any casting almost or any internet things i think we have the same with casting that's all i Okay. came across as well okay the pipe that landa smokes is at the dairy farm is apparently so outrageous yeah. and obnoxious <laughs> <laughs> apparently that was intentional because it's the same as sherlock holmes pipe a detective's pipe okay which he is a he considers himself the ultimate detective yeah probably thinks he's better than sherlock holmes and he has a bigger pipe or something so uh, and you <laughs> i know, thought that was a little funny fact there and these are all like details that tarantino knows about so if if that's on the internet he probably knew what he was doing when he made when he gave landa this giant ass pipe very clear choice <laughs> i got two more so i i, I could i could bounce back here Go ahead. i got more too all right cool all right so another one i have here is this movie was produced by the weinstein company and Brad Pitt had previously refused to work on any film produced by Harvey Weinstein due to an incident where he allegedly, well, probably not allegedly, sexually harassed Gwyneth Paltrow. But he wanted to work with Tarantino so badly and he wanted this role. He put that aside to be in this movie. You know, every it's, I'm still taken aback every time I see I watch an old movie like this one. And you, you see that the Weinstein Company logo in the beginning. But I'm glad that he put this aside so he could be in this movie because this Brad Pitt was, was this movie. Uh, right. Any thoughts on that for either of you? Obviously we're all anti Weinstein. Well, it's tough, right? Because there's, uh, there's a whole, there's a whole thing related to that name now, which is rightly deserved. Um, but even, you know, Kevin Smith talks about in his book, tough shit, you know, working with the wine scenes and how like nobody knew that that was coming. I mean, now, they should have been smarter they should have seen it but tarantino and harvey weinstein were yep like you know they were super tight and that because they weinstein was always helping tarantino get stuff off the ground so like yeah 
I'm glad Brad Pitt put it aside, but I can certainly understand. Hey, I had a bad experience with this guy. I don't want to work with him. You know. Sure. Um, you know, I'm glad he did. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Jackie had another internet. Yes, I have a similar note there that Till Schweiger, um, who plays one of the bastards. Hugo Stieglitz. Hugo Stieglitz. That's right. He was born and raised in Germany, but he had always sworn that he would never put on a Nazi uniform for anything, even a role. Yep. However, in this case, since he got to kill Nazis, he accepted the role. <laughs> and I'm glad he did because he rolled in this. <laughs> he, did. He, he was awesome. All right. So the last one I have is there's kind of this Quentin Tarantino cinematic universe that exists, but he doesn't make a big deal out of it. For example, Michael Madsen's character in Reservoir Dogs is the brother of John Travolta's character in Pulp Fiction. And there's like a lot of little parallels between the movies he directed, the movies that he wrote the scripts for. So a couple of interesting things that I've read on the internet, according to the internet, let me just preface that again. Um, is that Aldo Rain in the Quentin Tarantino cinematic universe is the grandfather of Floyd from True Romance. So the stoner character in True Romance played by Brad Pitt is the grandson of Aldo Rain, according to the internet and the, the Quentin Tarantino cinematic universe. There is another, we're covering True Romance in a few weeks, so it's good that we have these, uh, these parallels here. Um, the, the Bear Jew, Donnie Donowitz, is the father of another character from True Romance, Lee Donowitz, played by Saul Rubinek, the director in True Romance. So there's kind of like two parallels between True Romance and um, Inglorious Bastards here. Just, it, it's funny. It's kind of like a thing that exists on the internet. I think it's just for fun. I, it's not like the MCU or anything where you have to take it super seriously, but it's, it's there and it's kind of, it just makes it a little fun. Any I totally buy it. I totally buy it. Sure. I, I, I have no doubt in my mind that Quentin Tarantino has that romantic notion in his head that all of this is <laughs> interwoven somehow. I, I, I buy it. I buy it. <laughs> I'd like to see a, a map of that. I'm going to have to do some Googling and see if I can find the, the family tree, a Tarantino's family tree of One cinema. One of those great <laughs> posters that you would have bought at like, you know, Spencer's <laughs> or something. Like, yeah. You'd be like uh, Charlie Day, that Charlie Day gif, just looking... <laughs> Through everything. Uh, Jackie, you said you had a couple more or one more? I have one more fun one. Okay. Diane Kruger, who played Bridget von Hammersmark, inadvertently fooled Quentin Tarantino during her audition into thinking she was American because her accent was unrecognizable. He was doubtful and was really worried about her German accent and was just about to give her a hard time, but she quickly proved him wrong because she is a native German. Yeah. <laughs> I, I read that one as well. Yeah. That really good one. All right. All right. So good job on the internet, everybody trivia, Jackie, would you like me to go first or you? Let's see. I'll, I'll go. All right. Which which of these films did Quentin Tarantino consider working on, but never worked out? Okay. One of these is not true. Casino Royale, Star Trek, Kill Bill Volume 3, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Slayer. I think I, I, think I know this, 
but I'll defer to Glenn and see if he does too. I I could be totally wrong, but I think I know this. I want to I want to say Casino Royale, but at the same time, I've heard the Star Trek rumors that he's always wanted to do a Star Trek movie. We've uh, heard the same rumors, Glenn. I I'm I'm going to go with Casino Royale because I think he has that interest also. But I, I'll I'll just so Dave can also have an answer that's not. I'm going to go with the Star well, Trek because I've heard that story that he wanted. It's rumored that he was attached to a Star Trek Star Trek project and rumored that he still is. So it's it's not like Kill Bill Three is in production now. That's why I'm yeah. not going with Kill or is is in production. It's yeah in the works. Before we submit final answers, let me make sure I'm phrasing my question correctly. One of these is not true. Oh, not true. Oh, okay. Oh, like um, it's a movie that doesn't. I apologize. I might have. No, no. I might have phrased that incorrectly. So, these are all a possibility, but one of them is not true. Okay. Well, then, uh, yeah, it's not Star Trek because he's been definitely linked to Star Trek. Okay. Um. So, Glenn, you said Casino Royale. Yeah, I'll stick with that one. Okay, I'll stick with you that think- one too. You both think that Cosino Real is not true? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry, that is incorrect. Uh, he actually <laughs> liked this uh, Daniel Craig idea, but he had a completely different twist on Bond. So okay. they did not like where Tarantino was going to take that film. So I, that's another favorite of mine. So I'm really glad that they that Tarantino did not do that. Agreed. Um, the correct wrong answer is Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer. Well, I'm which... glad that didn't happen. <laughs> but that's a real movie. Yeah, you know, I know. But I think it would have been in better hands with Tarantino. Sure. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of the book, and I think it would have worked out a little bit more fun in Tarantino's hands, a little bit more violent, as it were. Okay. All right. Well, I, I will be there if there is ever a Tarantino Star Trek. It's usually, I'm, <laughs> I'm a Star Wars guy. I, I've seen Star Trek here and there. I'm not too knowledgeable about it, but if Tarantino was involved, I would probably probably like try to bone up on my knowledge a little bit. I'd be very curious about that as well. Yeah. All right. So I also have a, a Tarantino-themed question here. So he's worked with many actors, many of like the biggest names in Hollywood, multiple times. I'm going to give you a list of actors here. He's worked with one of these people only one time. So which of these actors have only worked with Tarantino once? Some of these are easy. You probably get them right away. Was it Samuel L. Jackson, Tim Roth, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kurt Russell, Robert De Niro, or Michael Madsen? Glenn, take, take first jab, jab at this one. Only worked with Tarantino once. I'm sure there's plenty you can eliminate pretty quickly. Yeah. Just, can you just say the last names again? Just I'll do the whole thing again, just yeah. for the listeners, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Samuel L. Jackson, Tim Roth, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kurt Russell, Robert De Niro, Michael Madsen. Oh, man. Why do I want to say Michael Madsen? I'm going to say Michael Madsen. I think I'm wrong. I'm going to say Michael Madsen. I think that. Okay. Jackie? Oh, I can't remember what movie Kurt Russell is in. Okay. So I'm going to go with him. I, I can't remember why he's not popping up on the radar. All right. Uh, you're both wrong. It was, <laughs> it was De Niro. Michael Madsen um, was in Hateful Eight. He was in Reservoir Dogs. He also was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, geez. For, for 
like two seconds. Yeah. Um, Kurt Russell was in Death Proof. He was also in Hateful oh. Eight. Yes. And he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So the okay. correct the correct okay. answer was Robert De Niro, who was only in Jackie Brown. Oh my! No wonder I didn't even remember him being in Jackie Brown. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So all right, I got <laughs> I got I got you both. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jackie Brown is that film I've seen one time, and I was like. I've also seen Jackie Brown one time. I do need to revisit it at some point. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> it's All on right. my list. All right. All right. So let's, we'll seg into awards time here. All right. So we do, we're doing our awards now. Uh, sixth man of the movie. This is just, for anyone who doesn't watch basketball, this is somebody who's not the star of the team, but who comes off the bench and has a huge impact. This movie had so many candidates. And I actually switched mine just this morning on i, I kind of in the beginning i was kind of firm on who i had and then i watched it again this morning to prep for this pod and i changed my mind so there's so many candidates for this you could have went fast bender um you could have went uh diane kruger as bridget von hammersmark uh you could just go down the list um we've already talked about the cast uh that we're going to be here another 10 minutes if i mentioned all the potential candidates but ultimately i went with melanie laurent uh, Shoshana Dreyfus in this movie. I just thought this this character, just the way she portrayed it as someone who could have just played this role as someone who's devastated, and she didn't. She just was annoyed this whole movie that she had to be in the presence of these people. But she ultimately just, she did everything she was asked. She hosted the movie for the Nazis when they told her to go to dinner. She did everything she was asked, but not in like a submissive way, just like a, fuck you, I have to do whatever you say but I'm not going to be happy about it. And just the way she portrayed this role in the giant face massacre at the end, when she finally got her, her payback on everybody, I just thought like she was the unsung hero of this movie. So I went with Melanie Laurent as my sixth man, or in this case, sixth woman of the movie. Jackie, which way did you land? That is a very convincing <laughs> argument there, Dave. I was originally thinking Michael Fassbender because that's where I, that's what I switched from. I was, I was very, I'm, I'm torn now because I, I really think he had a solid performance in this and it just really introduced me to Michael Fassbender going forward. And I always look forward to seeing his work. Um, but I'm kind of leaning towards Melanie now. That's <laughs> I like, I like what you said there. All right. So I think I might I might change my answer. Let's hear what Glenn has to say. All right, sure. I didn't even think of her that way uh, because I had her in a different award. But I, <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with Michael Fassbender, and I'm going to go with Michael Fassbender because for 17 minutes he could have been the star of this movie. Yeah. Uh, and and I completely. <sighs> God, just now having seen him in so many things over the years and then, you know, coming back to this one, it's like, man, talk about someone who understands the assignment yeah, and yes. not only understands it, but makes it a work of art in the process and doesn't do it through some BS method acting or, you know, crazy over the top look at me, I'm a one-man show. He he comes in, he plays his part, and he dies, and you went, wait, that's it? Yeah. That's all we're getting? But, wow, it was great. So I I, I, 
I would love to give it to Melody Ron. I, 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 I praised her highly before, but I have to go with Michael Fassbender in this case. No, the, and we signed on to do this podcast. We picked a Glorious Bastards about two months ago. And I, I, when we signed on for it, I was like, yeah, there's no way I'm not giving this to Fassbender. And then I've watched this movie three times in the last week to, <laughs> to prep for this podcast. And I'm like, no, I really like Laurent in this role. And, you know, I love Fassbender too, but I was just like, okay, let me, let me not give it to the obvious pick here. And not to say that, that there's, there's a wrong answer here, but I, I just, I went in a different direction than what I had set out in the beginning. Jackie, final answer. Final answer is that it's a tie. I can, I, <laughs> I like what each of you are saying about these actors. They are irreplaceable performers, as we've said, and I can't choose between them. Um, right. But I think that's a good post, Dave. I'm curious what yeah, everybody else a, thinks on that. All right, Dave versus Glenn on the Instagram on the Instagram story <laughs> going up this week. It'll be fun. Um, MVP of the movie. I kind of foreshadowed where I was landing with this uh, when we talked about the. Uh, Pitt and Waltz in the beginning. Uh, this was a two-horse race for me. I don't know if either of you had any other candidates. Um, it was either Pitt, Pitt or Waltz. And we kind of talked about Waltz, how he's played just different variants of this character throughout his career. And for me, for Pitt, this is his signature role out of like so many that you could pick in my opinion, just this is the role for him. So it wasn't much thinking for me. I went Brad Pitt MVP, Jackie. I ended up going with vaults. Okay. This guy haunts my dreams. <laughs> I, I actually had dreams about this movie after I watched it the other night because <laughs> it is so bone chilling and Christoph Waltz cast that spell on me and that dude creeps me out. <laughs> I, I looked for interviews with him on YouTube to see if he's really like a creepy person in real life. Yeah. I was just curious how he translates on screen and in person. And I, re I really couldn't um, put my finger on that. However, he made every single host he sat with on the night shows slightly uncomfortable. And yeah. I think he's very good at that. And he has an incredible range. He speaks, what, four or five languages yeah. flawlessly. He really poured himself into this role, really deserved that Oscar for it. He has my vote 100%. He makes this movie. Cool. I, I can't argue with, with, with that one either. Glenn, where'd you land with this one? Well, briefly, ever so briefly, I actually landed on Melanie Laurent. But, uh, but that was largely because you I just... I thought she was actually the hero of this movie in so many ways. Uh, I, I will switch to, I will actually go to Brad Pitt only because I think Dave, you made a very compelling argument for like that, that indeed, you know, I mean, gosh, Jack, I want to go Christoph Fultz so bad. I think he's so good, but man, Brad Pitt at the end, he goes, this is my masterpiece. And I went, <laughs> well, Tarantino, could you put it any more on the nose for yourself? <laughs> He's so vain. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll go with Brad Pitt. All right. So we got some good polls for the, the IG Very stories fair. this week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Glenn, what's something good you watch this week? Oh, man. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down my little rabbit hole here. Dave used to go succession. I'm going to go better call Saul. I'm going to tell everybody All right, excellent. that uh, uh, if you haven't had a chance to check it out, watch the show. It's, I mean, watch Breaking Bad first if you haven't watched Breaking Bad because it's just not worth watching Better Call Saul if you haven't seen Breaking Bad. Yeah. However, season five is on Netflix. Season six is about to start soon for Better Call Saul. And if that's not one of the most brilliant shows on television right now for its for what it is, 
I don't know what you know what else there um, what you would put there. Um, additionally, for a movie that I recently watched, um, I I had the chance to uh, go out and watch The Elephant Man in thirty five millimeter. Uh, at an art house which is not oh, new cool. it's very old david, david lunch yeah yeah um if I, i'm gonna just put it out there if you have not seen that that is truly an actual that is actually a masterpiece of a film. it's a blind spot yeah um and if it's something you haven't seen it's worth if you can watch it on a big screen watch it on a big screen but if you can't watch it anyway because oh my gosh i i was i was in tears half a dozen times in that movie and i don't cry at anything <laughs> so. i know it's uh it's a david lynch movie right with anthony hopkins uh john hurt Okay. Anthony Hopkins, John Hurt plays a horribly disfigured man who is called the Elephant Man. He's a freak in a freak show, and Anthony Hopkins plays a doctor who wants to help him. Okay, uh, and it's not your typical David Lynch. It was early David Lynch, so it was before he kind of went all obscure and you know absurdism. Um, but it's just so good and worth your time. It, yeah, no, it's a, it's you know it's it's on the list of but it's it's priority i'm gonna probably you said you saw it on a big screen i think it might be on the criterion channel it's just uh, i yeah we had we had the chance in art house here in chicago was showing it uh, at, at and the music box theater was showing it and um as part of a david lynch retrospective but i would just say if you can't see it on a big screen just watch it because if you're a movie lover yeah it's it's perfection it's it's a perfect film uh, in so many ways all right, perfect film. I'm I'm in. Yeah, I like perfect films. So I, I gotta really cool. I gotta speed speed this one up. Jackie, what's something good you watch this week? This week I watched Tokyo Vice. Nice. It is a Michael Mann yeah. and uh, very popular director producer yeah. in our house here. <laughs> so my husband convinced me to watch it, but I'm really glad that I tuned in. It's about a young American man who lives in Japan in let's say 1998, I believe. And he lands the job of being a crime reporter for the Japanese newspaper. It's a very rigid environment and dare I say, um, a, a culture with just a very high standard of expectations. So it's interesting to see the um, interaction and in the environment that this young man is in. And um, it appears that he is a, uh, detective on the rise because he's um, looking more into his crime reporting, which they really want to be surface level. But he says, no, there's something more to this. And I'm completely pulled in yeah. to this plot. Uh, I'm surprised I don't mind the subtitles as much. I'm usually pretty exhausted by the time <laughs> I get a chance for some free time. So I was surprised myself because uh, most of the the episodes I've seen are 80% Japanese. Yep. And um, so foreign subtitles um, aren't always the easiest late at night, but these are no problem. And maybe it's just the level of intrigue or mixing a little bit of English in there at the same time, just as Inglorious Bastards did. Right. I, believe, um, I think they said 70% of this film was in foreign language mm -hmm. and it was subtitled. It was no problem for me whatsoever. So uh, I, I'm intrigued by the show. I want to see more. I've been through a couple episodes already. So did you watch all three? I have not made it to episode three. Okay, I'm at two as well. So I watched okay. the first two. Okay. And I'm, yeah, I'm into the show. I'm yeah. Ansel Aglor is who I don't normally care for, 
he's really good in the show. I, I enjoy it. And yeah, this, this is, I mean, we've, you and I have talked about Michael Mann. We covered Miami Vice a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And it just, yeah, the cinematography in this is very similar to Miami Vice and collateral things that he's covered before. Yeah. I was, I was very hooked on this show. I think you po- I think you posted about it or talked about it in the movie group and it reminded yes. me that it was because there's so many things out there. I was like, yeah, this is something I need to prioritize and I'm, I'm glad I did. Oh, good. I'm glad I put it on your radar. Yeah, really it's, it's it's quality. And, you know, Michael Mann directed the first episode and you can really kind of see his stylizing yep. in that. So I was I was pleased to to see that come through. So I'm beginning to appreciate him more and more. Yeah. Um, and I was also I somehow found time to binge on Outlander. Okay. <laughs> I, that's been a guilty pleasure lately. Yeah, no. It, I think I'm on season five now and I just can't stop watching it. It, it just has me wanting more. And this, this drama is unfolding here. And oh, what? What just happened? <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, and it, it's also, I think it also falls into a history rewrite because this woman is literally traveling through time, trying to change historical events ultimately. So um, I must have, that must be something that appeals to me. No, <laughs> but that's, it's a really if, if quality show, show and I'm glad to put my stamp for, behind it. You know, if you're, if you're like, if you're watching an episode and you're like, holy shit, I need to watch the next episode, then the show is doing its job. Yes. So that's, that's very good. So yeah, I know, I know Outlander has it, has its fans out there. I've just, I just never got there and maybe one day, but I, I know a lot of people who like the show. It's a very popular show. And how many seasons, Jackie? I wow more than five seven or eight yeah so there's a lot you know, for a show to last that long it, it they don't last that long without their fans so indeed I saw the movie that has the internet buzzing this past week and I saw everything everywhere all at once I'm so curious about yeah, I don't that know why. everybody oh, loves man. it it's gonna be great. and this is current I'm on the IMDb now this is currently at a 9.0 on IMDb at wow 10,000 10, rankings it was just, it was everything that it was promised. Sometimes you hear, you hear things like the greatest movie ever. All right. I'll, I'll pump the brakes there. It was the best movie I've seen this year. That's, that's for sure. Mm. Um, as, as I speak in April, but yeah, it was, it was about Michelle Yeoh plays um, a, a Chinese woman who owns a laundromat and she's having money problems. She's having family problems. Her husband wants to divorce her. She has a shitty relationship with her daughter. Just basically everything wrong that could be going in your life is going wrong for her. Um, she's getting harassed by an IRS agent played by Jamie Lee Curtis. And all of a sudden, through just happenstance, she winds up in this multiversal universe where there's different versions of herself where she's a movie star. She's a cop. It's just... So it's tough to talk about this this movie without like giving so much away. But there is a multiverse. We see many different versions of all of the characters in this movie. And we talked about Inglorious Bastards being a movie that you need to see multiple times to keep picking up things. This is a movie. I saw it once. I probably picked up maybe 50% of the things that happened in it. I'm going to need to see this two, three, four, five six times before you fully catch everything and this was just this was a masterpiece you know i know we throw that some people throw that word around loosely um i'm gonna just label it such it was a masterpiece and yeah this was everything 
as promised. And I ranked it a nine out of 10 um, with the, the rest of the IMDb crowd. I think I gave it, yeah, four and a half out of five on Letterboxd. That was, I think it's like a 4.7 average on Letterboxd. So it's very popular. Everyone who has seen it has said uh, very good things about it. I know it was talked about in the movie group a lot. Yeah, I, I'm guessing neither of you have seen it yet, or is it on either of your radars? It is on my radar. I, I, I will be seeing it as soon as I'm actually able to get to a theater, because that is one that I will not let myself only watch when it comes out. <laughs> like, okay. I, I want to see it on a theater screen. I think it deserves that from everything I've heard. So, Jackie, this is, you've heard about this one, right? Yes, I've heard all the buzz in the group lately, and I'm really intrigued, really curious, loving hearing all these great reviews of it. And um, kind of like Glenn said, I as soon as I can get an opportunity to get out to the theater, I would really like to see this on the big screen. I don't know if that's going to happen. I might have to wait for it to sure. stream ultimately, but that would be really awesome to get out and see this. Yeah, it was really good. I, I highly recommend it. In addition to that, um, I watched the first two episodes of Pachinko. On this is this is an Apple Plus show, and I think um, Severance was phenomenal. But it, these kind of came out around the same time, so Severance might have taken some of the thunder away from Pachinko, which is about uh, a Korean family. And the show spans from 1915 to 1989. So we go through different generations of this family. And I'll just give you like a little context. The main character, her name is Soon Ji. In the first episode, we see her as a little girl and as a grandmother. So we see just, we're going back and forth through time throughout the episode. And I, I've watched the first two episodes of the show. It's about this, this family. We see her son later in the episode. He owns a pachinko. I don't know. I know pachinko is a casino game. And he owns oh. the, the one character owns a pachinko parlor. That's the name of the show. And it's just, it's really good show. They, the way they set it up, it was dubbed in English. And I, I was like, no, this sounds weird. So I changed, I changed the settings so I could do subtitles. So it's in the, the Korean. It was intended to watch with the subtitles, just the weird English. I think that's how squid game was set up. If I'm not mistaken, I didn't watch that. Am I wrong about that? <sighs> Gosh, I couldn't tell you, but okay, dubs and subs, I can totally sympathize there. I would, I typically end up switching over to subs because it's just yeah, no, I it really right pulls you away from the the show or the movie. The English dubbing was weird. So this is a this is just another notch. And Apple is, you know, I don't think they're at HBO levels yet, but this most of the things that they put out, they're definitely quality over quantity because they don't have a ton of shows out there. But everything they put out is worth a look, in my opinion. And this I, is just, I would agree with you. I, this I, is just right there. Yeah. So, yeah, Pachinko, I, I recommend it. I don't know. And that's kind of, uh, I think Severance is, is an easy sell because you see, uh, like, Adam Scott and uh, John Turturro, Ben Stiller directing. You have all these familiar names. And this is a Korean show with subtitles. So it's, it's a tougher sell. But I, I'm glad I checked it out because there was a lot of, there was a lot of buzz around it. In, in in addition to severance which was the most thing ta- most talked about in apple but i i also recommend this show there's a lot of korean productions that i really like i'm really coming to appreciate korean cinema like uh, man from nowhere uh train to busan yeah um those are Parasite. some of the more mainstreamed ones but they have some quality productions from there so absolutely I'm really curious yeah. about that 
Yeah. So, I mean, there's just so many great, I mean, just foreign films in general. If you, if you find the right ones, there's just so many, so many great movies. If you venture out of America, Glenn, where are some places people can follow you? Uh, yeah. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, um, my name at Glenn Thompson and the number 11 on Facebook. It's at, uh, Glenn Thompson creator. And, uh, if you're in the, uh, Indiana region, Northern Indiana region in a couple months, I'll be doing God of carnage with Dune summer theater. All right. Awesome. Jackie. You can follow me on Instagram at Jackie Lynn nine, nine point five, or come and talk to me on my Monday morning post on the Facebook group, the movie and television talk. Great. And you can follow me at DDEM 2000. That's my handle on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. You can also follow the Instagram for the show. We have two podcasts. Was it that bad in dollar theater, but we host both of them on the at was it that bad pod Instagram. And if you want to talk about Inglorious Bastards or any of the shows or movies we just referred, referenced, uh, what have you, or if you want to talk about anything else with us or many other great people, join the Movie and Television Talk Facebook group. You just type that into a group search. We are the red cover photo. Jackie, what do we have happen in the next two weeks? Next week on Was It That Bad? We're watching The Faculty. Nice very curious about that apparently i've been told that i've seen this before (laughs) but i don't remember it so we'll see how that works out (laughs) hopefully i haven't and it's a more memorable film that um, i can give it credit for yeah (laughs) and the next week after that on dollar theater we are going to watch her yeah i'm excited about both those jackie just kind of like piggyback off what you just said here um i I rank everything I've ever seen on IMDb. So this is, this happened to me twice in a week. Um, Saturday night, I was looking for a movie to watch and I'm scrolling the Criterion channel and I come up on Robert Altman's The Player with Tim Robbins. And I I was like, okay, this looks pretty good. I'm going to check this out. So I hit play and then I go to the IMDb and I had ranked this movie already seven out of 10. So I, (laughs) so I, I had seen this movie and I didn't remember it. And you gave it a seven, too. Yeah, I gave it a seven. So I, I thought it was like a fine movie. You know, didn't really move the needle. And this also happened to me today when I'm I'm going for the I'm going around the Oscars for 2009 because I'm trying to see like what beat Inglorious Bastards. And I'm like, do I remember the Hurt Locker? I'm like, I don't really remember it. And I click, and I also gave it a seven out of ten. So I don't remember seeing that either. <laughs> so that that happens, I guess, when you when you watch a lot a lot of things. Um, Glenn, any thoughts on the faculty or her? Uh, I had I loved her when I yep. saw it, uh, yeah, and I look forward to hearing you all talk about it because that is such a unique was at least at the time such a unique movie. Um, yeah, and I uh, the other one I don't know, but I, I look forward to both. Cool, cool. Well, Glenn, thanks for joining us on this one. This was great talking to you about this movie. You both as well. Yep, and Jackie, pleasure as always. Likewise, Dave. All right, and thank you everybody for listening. We will catch you all next week. Have a good night, everybody. <laughs>